I just hope that I can educate them and give them the right tools to understand the world we live in and the social media isn't real and that like there's more to life than just looking at your phone and looking at WhatsApp threads and stuff. You can actually be with your friends and have a community. I think that's the most important thing that you teach your children kindness and you teach them to maintain relationships in the real world because once they do that, I think they can deal with all the other noise that's around. The big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. All right. How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm great. Put in a three-hour dirt bike ride this morning and uh, I'm exhausted. So you've been doing a lot lately, a lot more dirt biking, a lot more wake surfing. Mm -hmm. Um, You've joined me in my gym sessions. No, what has brought mine. this? Yeah, he actually, what is it? Um, what's the word you use? Hijacked. Hijacked. Bobby has hijacked my workout sessions. I just feel like I'm getting value, you know? <laughs> Two people versus one person. I'm throwing in the effort and let's do it to it. <laughs> but what made you all of a sudden be like, I'm going to go from zero to hero? And don't take that personally. I wasn't even thinking that, but now, <laughs> now that you mentioned that, zero? Really? Yeah, I really yes. wasn't thinking about that. Okay, but thank you. are so kind. I You're know. You're so kind. Kindness. Only kindness matters. As Jewel says, we sing that to ourselves when one of us is um, being not so kind to each other. We're like, only kindness matters. Jewel sounds way better, though. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> lost my voice there at that oh, last geez. word. Yeah, saying kindness is a little <laughs> tough for you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what were you asking? Oh, zero. Uh, zero to hero. That's right. Let me get back to that. Uh, I hit my my fitness rock bottom at for that moment. I said, okay, enough. Just the shift and gym exercise, dirt biking, wake surfing, Every day, got to be active, eat right, feel great, got way more energy. And so, yeah, I'm pumped. So, you know, that's a 
perfect segue to our guest today. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Joe Wicks. Yes. You got to start doing his workouts. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, do. I would love to because I'll be honest. I want to hang out with Joe. <laughs> okay, well, okay. <laughs> so I just got done interviewing Joe, and he's in the UK. Yep. And Bobby, well, first of all, number one, they have matching hair, but Joe has brown curls. Bobby has blonde curls. And so then different. They, then they start talking about F1. Mm-hmm. And so now we need Joe to come out here to Austin for F1. Dirt and, biking. Oh, oh well. I, well, I didn't get there. Oh, but okay. Yes. He had me at dirt biking. He first had you at F1, and then he brought up dirt biking. No. Sealed the deal. So, Joe, if you're listening to this, Bobby is telling everyone that you're his new best friend. Hey, Joe. (laughs) It's me. Miss you already. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, I really enjoyed this episode and talking to Joe because we literally had so many parallels of our childhood. Yeah. And what we went through and how fitness healed us both and how now we take that fitness platform and it's not just about the working out, but then taking that to the mental health and then helping others and just having, you know, fitness as one tool mm-hmm. for supporting mental health. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. You were like two long lost pen pals. I know, Joe, you're my new best friend too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, be- we'll have a say about that. We'll see you. <laughs> You got to pick one. <laughs> you can have two best friends. Okay, okay. I mean, Joe likes to cold plunge in sauna and do yoga. That's fantastic. But two wheels. Mm, and he's going steel. to Russell Brand's house. Or, sorry, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, tomorrow to cold plunge. Which as so, soon as he started talking as well and I saw him, I was like, oh, it just reminds me of Russell Brand. Yeah, I, they should yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, they have such so, good energy, both of them. Yeah. So, yo, Joe, just tell Russ, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I hope you enjoy the podcast and see you on the other see side. See you on the trails. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And welcome to the podcast, Joe Wicks. Yay. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm really excited to speak to you because you may not know this, but I've been following you for years on Instagram, like literally from the early days. So it's nice to finally get to speak to you and get to know you a little bit. Yeah, I'm excited. When I heard that, I was like, what? Joe Wicks has been following us, what, since 2013? So I got on there about 2013, 2014, yeah, I think with Instagram. And I, I just remember like just thinking, you know, you just both had this amazing energy. And I just thought like, you know, spreading a, spreading a positive message around exercise and also mental health. A lot of people at that time it was all about body image, you know, and I just think you had a nice way about you. And um, I was also admiring you from an entrepreneurial kind of business perspective because I could see like you were building a brand in the community and doing those amazing like transformations that you did. So yeah, I've definitely been inspired by you girls. Thank you. And that's, I love hearing that. And when did you get into fitness? Well, actually, we'll get into that. I know when you got into fitness because I've been stalking you. Um, but yeah, I love Joe. So I wanted to have you on here. First off, Shout out to Megan Murphy, dear friend for over a decade, introduced me to Joe and told me about his story too, and that he would be perfect for this podcast. And Joe, it was our growing up is so remarkably similar. And I love that you are sharing this because I started sharing this because it opens up the floodgates to help other people, not only through fitness, but through talking about mental health. 
So, well, first of all, let everyone know where you're located. So, um, yeah, my name's Joe Wicks. I've like my na- name, kind of fitness name, like the body coach, and I'm based in the UK, so just outside of London. I've been, uh, I grew up here, I've been born here, and um, I spend a little bit of time in LA and Santa Monica. So I met Megan in New York. She's amazing. I love her. She's a firecracker, like <laughs> so much energy. And she did promise me, she said, I promise you, I'll get you on a podcast in the US. And here I am. So yeah, big up Megan. Yeah, she's the best. But yeah, so Joe is, I want to talk about first, you have been doing fitness for a very long time, but then during the pandemic is when home fitness became such a need and a necessity. And you uploaded one video and got like 900,000 people just wanting to work out at home and move their body, which was really healing, correct? Definitely. So I did a live stream and I called it P with Joe. So it's like a 9 a.m. workout every day. I never knew how long I was going to go, you know, doing it for because I just thought, I just thought the pandemic would be like a few weeks, but it was 18 weeks I did it um, every day. And kids all over the world would take part live. And it was, it was my, it was my way of just getting people moving. I had this feeling of like that children and teenagers and families all around the world would be struggling with their mental health and like being locked in their environment. So I thought if I can get them moving and get them feeling good, and that was the intention really. And I obviously, you know, 18 weeks later, there was 100 million views globally, which blows my mind. But that was kind of my proudest achievement to date, really, because I've never had. I've never had that much impact in such a short time, but it was really something I was working towards. I've, I've been visiting schools and doing lots of workouts with kids. So my passion was with getting young people moving and just it just happened to be during a pandemic that it's kind of all kicked off. Yeah, and I want to go back to getting young people moving because I know that is one of the passions that you have. But maybe we go back. When did you start speaking about mental health? I think when I started out in the fitness industry, say 2012, I was obviously just fresh out of like, university, I'd done a personal training qualification. And it was all about training and weight loss and getting lean. It was all about the body image. And I had a successful range of cookbooks called Lean in 15. It was like healthy recipes. And I always talked about fitness in that sense, because I didn't know about mental health and I didn't have the confidence to talk about it. But as I've uncovered over the years of training with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that have gone through my plan and through my app, I realized that what I'm really doing is helping their mental health. And that the most important thing, the thing that brings people back, Although a lot of people will always be driven by weight loss and getting lean, they want to physically transform. It's actually like a byproduct of all the other benefits, the mental health benefits. So their relationships improving, their, their kind of productivity at work, how they interact with their children, how much more patient they are with their kids and their stress levels. So these are the things I start to observe. And then in the journey and that process too, also kind of went into my child and dug deep into kind of why I exercise. And it really stems from me being a child in a really traumatic chaotic home life. And that drove me to exercise. So for, for me, like exercise has always been my therapy. I didn't realize at the time, but it's something that I believe. And I believe that the power of exercise can really transform the way we feel about ourselves. And it can, it can be such a powerful thing if you let it into your life, essentially. Yeah. And I love that because I felt the same way in my early 20s when I was having my breakthrough and coming out of my own depression, situation of depression from growing up with a schizophrenic mother who was never in the house. Um, I was like... Karina, you got to get out of this. Like, what is it? When were you happy? It's like moving your body. And so that's when I fell back in love with fitness and then wanted to share that message with others because, and also fitness is fun and you make fitness fun. Like your videos are, you know, you don't take it too seriously. You are very engaging. And I want to go back. So that was, fitness was your therapy and your medicine because you grew up in a house with two parents who suffered from mental health disease, Um, a mother who had OCD and an eating disorder, and a father who was an addict 
and we'll just throw it out there, a heroin addict and alcoholic. So your mom, as I went to rehab and left you at home with your addict dad and your brother to get, took care of you, can you kind of explain more like what those childhood years were like for you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really open about this because I think I think the reason I am who I am today is because of my childhood and the kind of experience that I've had. And it's given me like a real empathy and a drive to want to help others. Like I've always been a carer from such a young age because I had to care for my mum and dad. Like my mum had severe eating disorders and she had anxiety. And so she, her kind of childhood trauma manifested in like, you know, extreme OCD, like cleaning the house like four or five times a day. It was really tough to be around that as a kid. And obviously my dad also with an addiction like heroin addiction, it's a very destructive drug. It's a very, it takes him away from me. So I was going through this kind of battle between wanting to like constantly argue with my mom and there's so much confrontation. And then my dad, you know, being a drug addict, it was, it was tough. So it was just like such an unstable home life. Like one minute he was there and things were great. And the next minute he's in rehab and, and it's like they're arguing and they, it, like the whole family falls apart. But I only found that out that my mom went to rehab for five months when I was 10 years old. Recently, when I filmed a documentary on BBC One, where I kind of investigated like what was happening as a child. And I think we just compartmentalize, we block these things out, we suppress these memories. And yeah, it must have been the hardest thing in, my, in her life to like leave us with my dad. He was still not, he wasn't clean at the time. Like it was really tough for her, but she knew if she didn't get help, that our whole lives would probably fall apart and we would end up probably in a similar path. So that was a brave decision from my mum to make that, you know, and take that step. Right. And then, so as you're growing up and your father is, did your father ever go? I know he eventually he did go to rehab and get clean, but in your young years and teenage years, did he ever go to rehab or was he just in and out of the house? I like the one thing that I read where like you learned your dad would be like, I'm popping out to get milk. And you're like, you realized what he was really doing. Yeah. So basically my dad was like a drug addict from a very young age, you know, from the age of like 16, 17. So I didn't know what was going on really at the early age stages, but yeah, he was always relapsing. So he'd go and go to rehab, get clean for like a few months. And I was like, oh, this is great. Things are back to normal then. And then he'd be gone. And it was just really tough. But yeah, the one thing he would say, it was like his code for like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go and score some drugs, but he wouldn't say that. So like, I'm just going to go and get some milk and pop around the shop, but he never came back. And so, yeah, it's quite just traumatic in the sense that I was always being lied to, you know, with drug addicts, you're never, you, they will never admit until you catch the drugs in their arm, they will never admit to it because there's too much shame and guilt and they're just never going to admit it. So a lot of lying and deceit, I found it really hard to trust him. And we've got a great relationship now, but yeah, at the time I was really resentful as a teenager, very angry, very frustrated, resented it. And then that was really when I probably turned to the gym a lot more. Like at 16, I joined the gym and I just used to go every day after school, two hours, you know, just, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that if I exercised, I was kind of releasing that anger and that tension. And when I went back home, I felt like I could just take it on the chin and I wasn't so fearful. So when you said caught the drugs in his hands, did you ever catch your dad? And that's when maybe there was a breakthrough? Never like really saw him practically taking drugs around, but you know, like the after effects with addiction, like heroin, it's such a, you're just sleepy. You can't, there's no emotion. So like, you're just numb. Like it wasn't like I could sit there and have a cuddle and read a book to me. Like it was just that really like vacant kind of, you know, sedated, like drug addiction. So yeah, it was tough. My older brother, Nicky, was about a year and a half old and he saw and observed a lot more than me. He kind of would have seen. And But the thing about drugs like that, there's always a smell, like there's always a kind of, you can just tell it's been going on, even I didn't see it with my own eyes. And so, yeah, it's mad. When I think about who I've become today and I've got two children myself, like 
And I imagine like them being in that situation. I just can't imagine what it was like for me as a kid. But we're resilient. Our children are resilient. And we love our parents. Whatever our mums and dad put us through, we still love them. We still forgive them because they did their best at the time they were, you know? Yeah. And so your mom has OCD and eating disorder. Do you think that, that did you, were you ever, obviously mentally you were affected by it, but did those habits ever um, affect you? Would you, did you ever bring those habits on? And I asked that because my mom, I believe she was like always talking about losing weight in this and put my sister and I on a diet all the time, which developed into my own as a very young teenager having bulimia. It's very common, isn't it, that you hear, because when you're a young person, how often do you hear a female being positive about their body? Like saying, I love my body or I love my legs. They just don't. My mom was the most beautiful. Honestly, my mom was absolutely beautiful. But yet she would always say to me, you know, do I look ugly in this dress or... She just never accepted compliments because she had such little self-worth. And I understand now that that manifests has come from her childhood trauma. You know, she had some really tough experiences and, you know, relationships with her parents and stuff were difficult. And also, you know, boyfriends and just the way she was treated. And so that really affected her. But for me, I never let, I didn't have that kind of um, issue around food. I'm actually like, I love my food. I've always been a big eater. I was always skinny. I was quite skinny as a kid. So I had a complex more about wanting to be bigger because I was just so skinny. Like I was so tiny. So that probably drove me a little bit to the gym as well to kind of get a bit bigger. But yeah, I think I think um, I don't feel like I've got any kind of addictions or eating disorders. But I've definitely had, I've definitely been affected by like the the kind of um, the addiction and trying to like have you know form relationships where I trust people. It's taken me a long time. Yeah, same here. I've been married. I don't know, six years? We're together ten. But it took me a long time to be able to trust people again because you have a parent who basically was not there for you or had lies surrounding you, um, lies that you probably believed or what your dad was telling, lying to you, going to go pick up milk. Um, so have you gone through therapy and that process? And like, what did, when did you finally decide that you needed therapy? I've had like the odd bit of therapy in the past, but I've always realized that for me, like my energy release is through exercise. So I, I, I'm always like, I'm not, I'm quite an open book. I'm not someone who bottles things up, but for me, like exercising and pushing myself physically was just my way of like releasing all of that. It's only recently, really, with the documentary that I filmed, that I kind of went into that like that that de- that depth of like really getting deep into my childhood and understanding. But it was like therapy, like having the conversations in itself. We recorded it, it was on camera, and it was emotional. So like, I, I found it difficult. But looking back now, like it was good to just have that conversation, get out in the open, and you know, our friendships now between my mum and dad, like we're all really close now. So it's like. Although I had this mad, chaotic, like confrontational, like destructive home life, it gave me so much drive and it made me want to be a better person. Like, I'm a good husband. I'm a good, like, you know, I'm a good parent and stuff. So I'm, I've learned from their mistakes and I'm really loving because of it. But the one thing I will say is that even though my mum and dad had their issues and their mental health issues, it was difficult. They always loved us. And I think that's why me and my brothers have turned out well, because as long as you've got love, you can pretty much overcome all the other stuff. It's, it's in the absence of love from your parents that you really struggle, I think. But growing up with your parents, you know, suffering from their own mental illness, what, where did that leave you? And did they realize what you were going through? Because I, I and I asked that again, because my mother was a, until four years ago. Um, she thought we just all had dinner at the dinner table every night when she was gone and that we were a happy family. And once I told her what the truth was, she just, you know, her, her brain couldn't develop really to process what I was telling her. But um, she just never knew that I was suffering. I think it's hard for like my mum and dad to 
at the time didn't acknowledge they had mental health issues because they just didn't know at the time. This is like 85, 90, you know, they, no one's yeah. talking about mental health back then. Yeah. My dad had an addiction. And so my dad was like, oh, in his head, he was the victim. Like he was addicted to heroin. How, how sad it was for him. But like he didn't realize, and now he does, that all those decisions he made, all of that aggression, all those fights we had, all those times he abandoned us. Like he knows now that has an impact. But at the time, he was too in the addiction to really get it. And my mum at the same time, you know, she's, she's been a very loving mum, even though it was mad and we argued so much. When you try, imagine living with a woman who wants to clean the house all day, every day. You can't have friends around. You can't make mess. You can't make mm. noise. It was like walking mm. into like a show home that's just perfect every time. And that's a lot of pressure when you just want to come home with friends and have a little like, just party or hang out and play Call of Duty or something. So like, it was tough and she didn't really know at the time, but she's constantly apologizing to me about things in the past. And I say, mom, listen, whatever you did, like your parenting, because she raised us really on her own. You, it worked out. Like, don't be, be, don't be hard on yourself because you set boundaries. Like, we trust, we believed. So, she set boundaries and we respected her. And because of that, we, we, we turned out okay. Yeah. And then, so with your dad, usually with addiction, there's obviously the genetics, um, but sometimes it's an overlaying thing with coping for a mental health condition. Did he suffer or did you have? genetics where that there's mental health conditions, depression, bipolar, anything like that in your family? Well, yeah. I mean, it turns out my grandfather had depression. My grandma has depression. My dad has depression. And, you know, he, his father was also an alcoholic. So his addictions run rife through all of his, all of his family. They're actually based in the US and Canada. And a lot of them lost their lives to addiction. Like, you know, all ended up doing fentanyl and just like ended up dying. It's so sad. My dad's lucky that he survived because he was shooting up for years, you know, and didn't, it was like roulette, you know, I always say, I'm so grateful you survived, but that really has ravaged his side of the family a lot, the addiction. Um, but yeah, like it's sad, isn't it? Because it's one of those things that you don't really, if you don't, unless you get help early on, it can hold, it can hold you for life. Like not many people get clean, especially a drug like that. So yeah, it's, he's in NA. Like I think NA obviously saved him really because that gave him a structure and it gave him a community to kind of, to stay um, sober and stay off the drugs. But he's, he's relapsed all through my life. But at the moment he's clean and things are good. So yeah, it's up and down with addiction. Yeah. Going back to fentanyl, because I, I like to highlight this topic because especially here in the U.S., the fentanyl pandemic or whatever you want to call it, I just lost two of my very good friends just lost siblings to that. They suffered from addiction, but they weren't trying to, you know, pass. They were went relapsed and, you know, did something and there happened to be laced with fentanyl and they lost their lives. And so I always like to say a shout out, like, just don't do drugs. Do not. Like, it's so scary right now. I don't know if you guys are having that where you live, but in the US, the fentanyl is everything being laced with it is really bad. I think it's a bigger issue in the US, but yeah, I mean, there's there's drugs everywhere in the UK. It's one of those things that it's always around, but yeah, I think there's more cases of deaths and suicides and stuff from that in the US. But yeah, it's really sad. And I just, I'm just grateful that my dad survived addiction because I used to think, I used to be so angry at him that I just, why can't you put the drugs down? Like, why are we not enough? But now I realize that he loved us in spite of his addiction. And because he got clean and he actually changed his life, like he's, he's around today to be with my, like his grandkids. And so I see it differently. I've got more compassion. It took me a long time. I'm 35, I'm 36 now. But at the time when you're 18, 19, like you're angry. You can't process those emotions. You don't have compassion for an addict. You just want to push them away as far as you can because you can't have them around. It's too hurtful. But what I've realized is, and I heard this somewhere else, but it's such a beautiful thought that the antidote to addiction is connection. So when someone you know is struggling, 
don't push them away. Like try and connect with them, try and give them love because they really just want to be loved and be cared for. Yeah. Yeah. I know with my mom too, I was, became her caregiver and she suffered not only schizophrenic, but from depression and she was suicidal, but she never followed through. And I just, I just tried to love her as best as I could. She did pass away last September, but um, yeah. Sorry to hear that. <sighs> it's okay. I've been working through the grief, um, you know. So depression runs in your family. Did you ever end addiction, clearly, um, and different mental health diseases, illnesses? Did you ever live in fear that you would end up like your parents? I had a fear of addiction for sure. I mean, I definitely remember being a kid thinking <clears throat> that, I remember thinking like, well, my granddad was an alcoholic, my dad's a drug addict. If I smoke weed or drink alcohol, like, I'm going to be an addict. So it frightened the life out of me. I didn't have a drink until I was probably like 18, which is quite old here. Like people are drinking like 14, 15 here. So I was definitely cautious about that. And um, yeah, I just had this fear that I would end up, you know, going down that destructive path. Because I saw like my dad, used to drink beer and he used to smoke weed. And I thought, oh, he's really fun and cool. Like, he's like, he loves Bob Marley. He's got dreadlocks. Like, I love my dad. And then it was like a turning point where the drug addiction took over his life. And I definitely had that fear. Um, I don't personally suffer from depression, but I, I feel like I've got a much more positive mindset. And when I do feel like my, I'm dropping it, if, my, if, I'm getting, if I'm feeling a bit low, I really have the tools to just pick myself back up and like get thinking positively. I'll, I'll do a meditation. I'll do a workout. So I think I have that mindset just to like keep myself on a positive level. Yeah. I mean, I say the same thing too. And I, I, everyone I talk to is like, I have the tools. And that's the great thing about our generation too, is we have the tools and like meditation, which has been around forever, but, um, you know, working out and meditation and even myself too, if I don't meditate and I don't work out for like beyond three days, I'm going to drop a little lower. So that's really important. And I, I like to go back because I like to work with kids a lot because we didn't have those resources when we were younger and we had to suffer through it and educate ourselves on what is going on in our home. And one of my biggest missions is making sure that young children don't have to suffer like we did and to educate and have these podcasts and these books and movies and films. But what is your biggest just advice to any children or young people? It's funny, isn't it, how we're on different sides of the earth. We've had a, quite a similar like experience of parenting and childhood. And we have the same love for helping other people. Like I'm the same. I'm obsessed. Every day, I just want to get kids moving. I visit schools. Like I travel all over the UK. I, I did a documentary on mental health, like, specifically parental mental health. And I, every day, I'm thinking about young people's mental health because I, I can just see the crisis that we're in the middle of. That lockdown was one thing but you throw in social media and you throw in screen device and addiction and all the other things that young people's minds are exposed to, which we didn't have to experience back then. Like it's way harder. And so, you know, my, my first kind of, my first like advice for anyone is, you know, to talk, to communicate and to not go insular and let like things get on top of you. Because when you realize actually when you do speak and you show vulnerability and you have a cry, especially as a young man, like, it's good. You release energy. You feel like you're not alone. Like there's other people that are experiencing that. And so talking to anybody is the most important thing. Um, and secondly, obviously, is movement. You know, move your body to check, like move your body to transform your mind. Um, and that could be on the most simplest of levels. It doesn't have to be a really high intensity workout or a gym or an intimidating environment. It can be going for a walk in nature or going for a bike ride. You know, these things all movement is good for you. So I really promote that in young people. Um, 
because it's so apparent that children are struggling and confidence, self-esteem, body image, dysmorphia, um, eating disorders, like kids as young as eight years old, I've been speaking to parents that they've got anxiety so bad they can't go to school. Imagine being an eight-year-old kid, you can't go into school because you've got physical anxiety that's making you sick. And so I think education is so important around to parents and also to schools to really get everyone on the same page, I think is so important. Yeah. And that's great advice. And those are the things that I hear. It's like, get on a nature, move your body, meditate, eat healthy, stay hydrated. All of those will really help with your mental health. I get a lot of questions. Bobby and I do not have children by choice because I had a mentally, severely mentally ill mother for my entire life and for 30 years of my life. I'm 41 now. And we made the choice just because I took just, it was very traumatic and I'm still working through the trauma. And I have that fear of, well, if we have a child, would it skip a generation? My sister is healthy, mentally healthy. I'm mentally healthy. And so we just, it's like, I don't know if I could handle it again. So you have two kids, maybe one on the way, I think. Um, yeah, good <laughs> um, research. Yeah, I've got one in the oven. I've got a little girl called Indy and a little boy called Marley in America. I call him Marley, but in America, it's Marley. So Indy and Marley, and I've got a new baby coming. Yeah, I love being a parent. Yeah. Do, um, does it ever it's just fun. scare? Like, what are your thoughts on that? And I just, if your children had any signs of depression or addiction, do you ever think about that? Um, no, I don't really live that far in the future. I just yeah. think about, I'm not, I think you can live like that and think about, you know, anxious about giving them nuts or giving them like a new food because they're going to have a reaction. I, I've been much more like relaxed about these things. So I'm quite, I take it in my stride. But no, I mean, look, I just hope that I can educate them and give them the right tools to understand the world we live in and the social media isn't real and that like, you know, there's more to life than just looking at your phone and looking at WhatsApp threads and stuff. You can actually be with your friends and have a community. I think that's the most important thing that you teach your children kindness and you teach them to, to maintain relationships in the real world because once they do that, I think they can deal with all the other noise that's around. But yeah, no, I'm definitely not concerned. And I would give them as much love and support and obviously guidance and give them anything they need to help them get through. But the teenage years I'm most concerned about because obviously that's when we develop our real sense of self and also body image. And, you know, I'd hate to think my daughter didn't love herself because she mm. saw other girls on Instagram and other people with filters on and things. I'd, I'd hope that I can teach her that she is pretty and she's beautiful just as she is and you don't need to go down that path. And so... I think it comes down to just educating them as they grow up, I think. Yeah. And obviously your children have great parents and stable. And, you know, I think it was good for me. My mother was very unstable and always on a diet and having her slim fast or whatever. And But my dad was the one who was like, Karina, you're so smart. You're so beautiful. And so I think that was kind of what helped it was good. I remember those moments of not just the parent yelling at me, but then the nice the parent over here that was like, "You're smart. You're beautiful." I, I love that. Really I'm the same. I say it to my daughter every day. Like, just you're so smart and you're funny and you know you're beautiful. Just the littlest things. And she's she says thank you, daddy. And she started to be so kind. She's actually like she gives other people compliments. So I can see how that really has an effect on her. Like she'd say, oh, "I love your new dress, mommy," or "Your hair looks good." Like because she she learns that it feels good to give it feels good to be kind and give compliments. So it's really nice that you remember those moments. Did you know at the time your mum had schizophrenia? Did you, did you think it was just normal? That was like all mums? Or did you know from a young age she was, in, she was special? I didn't know until she, I was 12 years old when she was a missing persons uh, for quite some time. And we got a call from a hospital and she was the longest Jane Doe there. 
And we went in and the doctors talked to us and said, hey, we... She didn't she didn't say who she was or that she had a family until we started giving her Haldol, which was a medication they used back then. And so they diagnosed her. Um, and so she would go on and off her meds. And then they're like, she has schizophrenia. I'm like, huh? How do you even spell that? And again, no one was talking about it. So I went to the library and found a book and educated myself on it. I had normalized what was in my home. We weren't allowed to watch TV. Wasn't allowed to wear a graven image. She was an artist and she burned all her art. She was always going on a journey to save people, but she would walk for days. Um, a lot of religious ideologies. So I didn't know. Um, there was definitely growing up, she had a lot of rage and said a lot of mean things, but um, didn't have the diagnosis till I was 12. Wow. How did yeah. that affect you in your teenage years? Like, did you? Did you end up trying out, you know, drugs and going down that path and stuff as, to soothe yourself? Yeah. I actually just released a book, a memoir in April called The Big Silence. Growing up, it's about a mother-daughter relationship and growing up with a, a mentally ill mother. But um, yeah, I did 10 years of, I went through, I would call it a situational depression because at that time no one's talking about it. So I kind of like went in and like hid and I didn't want to talk about it to my friends because they were like, you're crazy. And my mother would tell me all her delusions. So as a kid, you believe what your parents are telling you. And so I went into about 10 years of drugs, smoking cigarettes, started with weed, went to everything else, never shot up heroin, took it in a pill form. But then in my early 20s, I was like, what are you doing? And th at this point, I was from Indiana to LA and woke up after a three-day bender. And I was in a park and I was like, you're going to kill yourself, Karina. And I was like, you got to make a change. And I was like, okay. And that's when I started working out again. I, I remember the last, yeah, the last time I was happy was running a, a half marathon when I was in like sixth grade with my dad. And I was like, so then I got into triathlon. I always wanted to be a personal trainer and fitness became my healing along with a ton of self-help books and therapy. And, you know. That's that. amazing that like, you had that experience and it's driven you to like, well, you had a moment of clarity where you're just like, I need to change. A lot of people don't get to that point. They just go down that destructive path. And then you just literally like fired up all that energy in your body and mind. And now you literally help millions of people. It's really funny. Like we're, we're really similar in a way what we've, what we've achieved as well, especially with like the, the online fitness in the community. There's a reason we connect with people, right? Because we have an experience, we have a story and we've got like a, a journey. There's more to us than just what you see on Instagram, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And for many years... I was afraid to speak about growing up with a mother who's mentally ill. And even when we started Tone It Up, um, Kat and I, we both came from a fitness background and then we came together and I was like, Kat, no one can know. This is in 2009. No one can know that I did drugs and I went through this and my mom was mentally ill, you know, I'm a fitness superstar. And then finally I was like, I started talking about it more and that was healing. And then like you, when you talk about it, then you realize it's not only your fitness that's healing people. It's the people reaching out and saying, I, I, I have suffered from this too. And then, you know, your DMs fill up, your email, everyone reaching out. But that's, so you're not only getting people healthy through physical fitness, but then through mental health and having them open up. And I know that you answer all of your DMs. Yeah. And yeah, well, I, I can see already like you're similar in the sense that probably a lot of yourself 
worth and your success is linked to how many people you help. So for me, like when I get the DMs and I see the like the actual impact, it gives me so much joy. Like it really gives me the energy I need to keep going because you know there's days when I'm not in the mood to do stories. I don't want to film workouts. I don't want to do a live on the app. But I just know like the people it's going to impact. So I think if I disconnect from that and I just have a social community like social media community manager like doing that, and it's just YouTube views and it's just like you know numbers on the screen. I don't get I. I lose motivation really quickly. So I still spend a lot of time. I've, I've got my screen time down, but I'm still, you know, I just flag all the most emotional, sensitive, like important ones. And I just spend like a few hours a day just going through them. And that for me, like that's success to me. Like that is it. Like the impact is what I need. And so, yeah. Do you find the same? Do you find that you still want to keep in touch with that community? You don't want to just pass it off to someone else? Oh, no. I'm in my DMs. It's me. And I definitely... Um, respond, especially to the ones in regards to mental health. And I was just, before I jumped on here, I was on the phone with Katrina and telling her that I was doing this podcast with you. And she was just talking and was talking about the big silence. I was like, I'm so motivated though, because when I get a DM that says, I wanted to take my life last night, and then I listened to a podcast or I called, we have a crisis text line. It's you text hero to 741741 for 24 seven counselors. And I was like, that's why I do it. Like, saving people and help not That's saving, amazing. but just like, you know, it, that is my motivation. And like you, sometimes I don't want to go live, but then when I do, I'm like, this is great, you know, but I make sure like over the years it's transitioned from certain types of workouts to now I'm very much just like yoga and meditation <laughs> that I'd love to yeah. do. So you've, you've launched a book and off the back of the book, you've also got like a self, a helpline that helps people that are kind of struggling with their mental health as well, like a text and there's people at the other end of the line? Uh, well, The Big Silence is the podcast, the book, and we have a nonprofit organization. So That is amazing. You're doing exactly what I want. I really want to do that. I really want to set up a foundation just to give back. And so I do a lot of fundraising, a lot of charity work, but I, I donate always to like BBC Children in Need or these big kind of Save the Children charities. But I'd love to have my own foundation and to something I really care about. Yeah, it's something we're going to do in the future. I think that's amazing. Well, you can do it. So how has fitness changed for you? Have you had ebbs and flows of what you love doing, what you've done, or how it changes? Yeah, I used to be really into like, I used to love endurance stuff. So I'd do like, you know, marathons and half marathons. And I, just, I love long, long sort of training. Then I got into like the shorter hit stuff. But I think nowadays, my, it's a combination of, um, you know, hit training. Because my app and my fitness business is, is based around like short workouts that people do at home. But I also love, you know, body weight stuff. So you know, like calisthenic stuff. And I've got into I'm doing a bit more yoga mobility stuff because I was, I was injured. So I've had to kind of really start tr treating that more um, seriously and take time with that. But yeah, I go in and out of phases. I have really, really kind of, I just see what I'm in the mood. I don't have a strict routine. I just, whatever I'm in the mood for, if I wake up, like I've, I jump on, I've got a Peloton, I've got, um, you know, a row machine, I've got a gym at home. So it just depends what I'm in the mood for really. But I really got into um, more of the mindfulness stuff. I'm doing like ice baths and meditation. So I've mm -hmm. kind of, I've gone into the extreme heat, the cold. I'm doing TM meditation. Have you, have you heard of the transcendental meditation? First of all, we're like the same person, but in different countries. <laughs> I used to be endurance, did triathlons. Will never find me doing a half Ironman again. But yeah, I have done TM and taken classes on that. But then I trained under Deepak Chopra with meditation there. Got the Amazing. ice bath and the infrared sauna at home. Those are like so therapeutic. Like if you're ever in a bad mood, just jump in that ice bath or like you're stressed out. Sometimes to my husband, like when my mom was in almost in hospice and at night I was just like crying, I would be like, will you just go sit in the ice bath with me? And it just... Oh, and, and you did it together? We have, yeah. 
He doesn't like I love it that. all the time, but... <laughs> How long do you do in there on average? So I do like between sort of two and four minutes. I do round sort of thing. Do you do like longer times or just short little bursts? Um, if I'm going back and forth between sauna and plunge, it's like 10, 15 in the sauna, three minutes in the plunge and back and forth like three rounds. So I have stayed up to 20 minutes in the plunge once and that was on... I had to like lay in the sunshine for like an hour to cool down. I haven't gone that long again since. Yeah, that's deep. That's painful. I've got, <laughs> do, you, do you have like the proper like ice on top? Yeah, proper ice or is it just like chilled water? It's by a company called The Plunge. So it filters through and it has, you can adjust the temperature. Do you have yeah, ice? Yeah, I love that. I've got like, a, I just fill the, like the bath up with water. Then I've got like a massive ice machine. I just dump it all in. So yeah. yeah, I'm trying to chase the cold. It's hot when it's really hot; that like, melts so quick, you can't really get it too like too cold in the summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I haven't been in the sauna since it's been up in the hundreds for the past few weeks. So I'm kind of I'm literally in a sauna in here right now. I'm like dripping sweat. So oh, it's that hot there. That's insane. Oh yeah, Texas. <laughs> yeah, we literally live in the same like routine. I've been in my bath. To, I've been in my sauna today. I did three rounds of three minutes, and it's like you do exactly the same. It's yeah. me. It's weird. Yeah. But yeah, even for those listening, you don't have to have it at home. There's so many places now and wellness places where you can go and do saunas and plunges and all of that. So it's, it's, I love how it's becoming, again, normalizing all of that stuff and just so many wellness things out there now. It's great. What is something like new? What's the newest trend, do you think, on the wellness spectrum? I'd say it is probably that at the moment. There's a bit of a buzz around, you know, Wim Hof and the ice baths mm-hmm. and things. I'm, at, I'm actually going. Do you know Russell Brand, the comedian, like the mm-hmm. actor Russell Brand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he got me into meditation. He recommended the David Lynch Foundation. So I did the TM with them in London, and I'm actually going to his house in the morning to to do an ice bath and a bit of meditation. So these are things like when you've got people in the media that are talking about ice baths, and there's a there's a show on at the moment in the UK with like celebrities and Wim Hof doing like ice bath challenges and things. So I think the more people that talk about that, people are kind of curious as to sort of give it a go. And they're also doing like, not so much ice baths, but like cold showers and things. So mm-hmm. I'd say cold showers and meditation is something that people are really turning to because they're just, their minds are just like overworked, I think. It's helping a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, in this society, we are very overworked and overstimulated. So this all helps and everybody's looking for something to help them heal. I feel like there's, especially the past two and a half years, a lot of just a lot that we need to work through and even easing back into society. Are, you guys are fully open there, right? We are, but things are like still down, like events, you know, people are still struggling to sort of, not everyone's out, you know, like there's people that are out, but I think there's still a lot of people that are struggling to get back into crowds and environments like that, like um, fitness events and whatnot. So I think, I think it's still going to take a bit of time, but yeah, we're, um, we're making progress. People are like getting back to their lives, I think. Yeah. I wanted to circle back. I had one more question about your parents too. I know you and your dad have a, a good relationship and he's sober right now. What about your mom? So my mom is like amazing. She's been around today because um, unfortunately her mom just passed away. She had Alzheimer's and dementia. So she was struggling for the past few years and she recently like a week ago passed away. So I'm I'm dealing with my mom grieving. for the. I've never experienced it. I'd, I've never had anyone in my family die because we were all quite young. Like my mom was really young when she had me. So... I'm trying to like comfort her and it's like she's really fine one minute and she's laughing and playing with the kids and the next minute she's just like sobbing and wailing and stuff. So yeah, I'm just trying to be there but we're very close. We speak every day like WhatsApp, we call every day. Um, I'm only my, at my happiest when I'm with my family. Like I kind of, 
I do love America. I spend a few months a year and I've got a place in Santa Monica, but I'm not really fully at peace and at ease until I'm around my family. So when I come home, you know, we spend a lot of time together and um, she's amazing. I just wanted to find someone. She's, I feel like she's lonely and you know? I wanted to find someone and be happy again and be in love. Oh, that's, that's nice. You're a good, you're a very good son. I have one more question before we wrap this up. That's very important. Silverstone F1 is next weekend. Okay. Is it Sir Hamilton or Russell? Well, first of all, I, I'm a fan and I actually got invited to Silverstone last year. I was with McLaren, so I was in the pits of like Lando and um, Daniel Ricciardo. And I looked today at the standing and I where is Hamilton? Like, what is happening this year? He's like <laughs> mid-table. I can't get my head around it. But he did win last year, like absolute perfection the way he did it on the last lap. So I think he knows the track. He's going to be fired up. It's going to be a Hamilton, I think, for the win. Oh my God, I'd be so excited. <laughs> Who, who's your team? Who do you suppose you're like? Who's your team and who's your driver? Who do you support? Mercedes and Hamilton. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was so upset when he lost and I just wanted him to win. But this year, like, he's not going to win. He can't win the championship this yeah. year, can he? It's too late, right? Yeah, I think so. Right, Bobby? Not going to happen. No, it's not. It's like, yeah, he's like way back. But no, I think he'll win Silverstone. And I'm, I've actually, because I'm friends of the guys at McLaren, they said, if you want to come to a race, let us know. And the one place I want to come to is Austin. So if I'm ever over there, I'll, I'll connect with you guys, yeah? Yes, we will be there. We have our spots. We're taking the big, um, the tour bus there, track right right in front of the track. But yeah, hit us up. We're down. Are you like me, like a recent fan because you watched um, Drive to Survive or have you always been a fan? I started being a fan in 2020. But Bobby has been a fan forever. He went to Monza years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. But I started becoming a fan just basically during the pandemic because I was like, what are we watching? And then, you know, and then I did see Drive to Survive. And yeah. Yeah, it's a good TV. It's really good documentary. Yeah, no, I love it. Well, um, yeah, let, when I come to Austin, I'm definitely going to come to the F1. So what time of the year is that? Is that in summer? It's in October. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be there one day for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking and hanging out with me, Joe. I will put in the show notes everywhere that you can be found. I am going to watch your documentary this week on BBC. I watched a portion of it on YouTube, but I'm excited to watch it. I love everything that you stand for and that you share. And it's just about amplifying these voices and making everybody feel comfortable about talking about mental health. Oh, well, listen, I've had a great chat and um, yeah, I'm very inspired by what you've achieved. And it's nice to like, because I didn't know your story and that's what I love about podcasts. You really get to know someone's real, real story. And like you come from a difficult, you know, background to become a very inspirational person. So keep doing your thing, keep helping others. And um, yeah, I hope to see you when I come to Austin. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it.
Here's to radical self-love The type of love that will defeat anxiety The type of love that defeats depression This is the one life This is the moment This is the time to dig in To be who you already are The big silence Breathe in, breathe out Breathe in, breathe out The big silence Breathe in, breathe out the big silence, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. The big silence, breathe in.